Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm riding solo. Unfortunately, my boy, Tristan, one my best friend, my co-host, me amigo, I, I miss looking over at you, brother. He's off the, for the night, but sitting in the chair is the queen that reigns all supreme, and I am okay, and everything will be fine. This, this break, I promise you some NCAA. I'm also going to promise you some NBA. And joining me from New York, the city that never sleeps, and um, one of the best guys to know up there in the in the place that they call New York City, Scoop B, Senior Brandon, Scoop B Robinson. I got to get a full government with the nickname. Senior writer at Basketball Society, and he is the host of Scoop B Radio podcast. Coming from ba- I'm in Baltimore. You're in New York, so I'm waving hello from down 95. What's up, brother? Hey, Mason Dixon. What's going on? Uh, don't call me country. That's not a bad thing, but you ain't country. I love Baltimore. My, uh, my mom and my dad met at Morgan, so it's all love. Oh, I did not know that. I'm purely pl- – and as a and, and as a, uh, alum of Morgan, that is very touching, and I'm very jealous because I didn't meet my man here. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Anywho, you're rolling with Ramos. You ready? Because um, we don't hold no punches here. I hope you're ready to come through this radar. Let's get it. All right, let's go. NCAA land, people, let's let's first take a look back at the weekend that was on the men's side. Loyola Chicago, number 11 Loyola Chicago, they lose to Michigan, unfortunately. You know, the Cinderella story is over, and Sister Jean, unfortunately, we got to put a Michael Jordan meme on her, and she got to sit down because they did not win. Number three, Michigan beats them 69-57. to The battle of number ones, Kansas and Villanova. Villanova just handedly takes care of Kansas, 95-79. to and then Dante DiVincenzo, he dropped a lot of dimes on Michigan in the, in the, in that uh in that final because you know before it was before it was was before it was two it was four so he dropped a lot of dimes which turned out to be a lot of confetti 
at the end of it. DiVincenzo came off the bench, or Big Ragu, if they as they like to call him. He came off the bench to make five threes and score 31 points, count them, people, 31 buckets. Nova gets okay. another – they get another blowout, Brandon. He was 10 for 15, five from seven from three-point land, and, of course, the Final Four's Most Outstanding Player Award. <laughs> Second national title in three seasons. When we talk about Villanova, how much pressure was it on them to seal the deal and, and be the kings of the NCAA world? Well, I, I think that Villanova definitely had some motivation. Uh, obviously, Philadelphia or the greater Philadelphia area um, is championship city right now with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles winning the, the Super Bowl uh, back in February and you know the, the Sixers being competitive. And um, You know, you go in with Villanova, as you said, you know, two national championships in the last three years, you know, North Carolina won it last year. I fell asleep on that North Carolina uh, <laughs> game, and they came back and won it. But, no, as it relates to uh, Villanova, you know, I, I'm happy for Villanova. Uh, I went to college, undergrad. I was literally down the street from Villanova. But, you know, bigger than that, I, I think Villanova and Coach Jay Wright, uh, they, they have a good you know, product on the floor. Uh, undoubtedly, um, they were the best team in the tournament uh, throughout the tournament and throughout the season. Um, and, and I think what's, what's significant about Villanova, um, as you said, the Nintendo was, was did his thing, uh, King Rack Rule, as you will, if you will. But I think that um, what, what makes Villanova stand out is just how what well oiled that machine is. Um, and I think over the years, over the last 10, 15 years, you know, that team has been guard oriented, perimeter player oriented, but um, they play the team basketball, you know, and I think that they can, you know, stand on their own too uh, amongst the elite like a North Carolina. Uh, a Duke, a Kansas, uh, but but one thing I'll say about those two, those two games over the weekend, mm-hmm. um, I felt like the game uh, the, the game on on Saturday, uh, the blowout that it was on Saturday, mirrored the blowout that was last night. You know, and, and you saw um, Michigan try to cut back. I think they were they, they they cut it to I think fourteen or fifteen points in last night's game. Um, the second half was more interesting to watch, but we kind of got nervous in the beginning because. Michigan came out attacking early, but, yes. but they couldn't. They couldn't hold up. Um, I, I even like the player Brunson, um, a solid point guard. I watched his uh, father play in the NBA, uh, played for the Knicks, played for the Sixers, played for Temple, a local guy um, from Syracuse. I was reading that last night during the game. But no, I, I definitely think that uh, Villanova came out swinging, and you know, like you said, two national championships in the last three years, and. Jay Wright is looking like a genius. He's not just a, a, a well-dressed man. He's a well-dressed man with two championship rings as head coach in the Villanova Wildcats. So congratulations. That man truly is sharp. And speaking of speaking of, of Villanova, are you are you drinking that Charles Barkley juice when he says, you know, the Eagles is winning, Villanova just won, the Sixers championship is coming soon? Um, I don't think the Sixers are there just yet. I, I give the Sixers a few years, and I think what's significant about um, the Philadelphia 76ers right now is, you know, they've been consistent um, all season. You know, I, I remember being laughed at at the beginning of the season. I was on CNN. You, um, you're you not laughed at. No, not you. I, yeah, I was laughed at because I, I predicted that the Sixers um, would make the playoffs. Uh, I was picking more along the lines of an AC, but, you know, they're as high as four right now. And, um, you know, I, I think when you look at the NBA, particularly the Atlantic Division in the NBA, uh, if the if the Celtics stay intact, um, obviously with Kyrie Irving over there, along with Jalen Brown, and you know a healthy Gordon Hayward next year moving forward, and 
you know, some of those other pieces. You know, I, I think that the Celtics and, and the Philadelphia 76ers, the playoffs, Embiid and, and, and Ben Simmons and uh, Robert Covington and J.J. Redick and some of those other pieces that are coached by Coach Brett Brown, I think that they can be competitive for the, at least the next five to eight years. Listen, LeBron's not going to be, you know, uh, spring chicken forever, even at 33 in his 15th year in the NBA. And I don't he'll be in the Eastern Conference next year, but you know, legitimately looking towards the future, where they say, I believe the children are the future. Uh-huh. You know, honestly, um, I, I think when you look at just what's going on in the NBA, you're seeing that shift. You know, John Wall, you know, what are he, what's he going to do with the, with the Wizards moving forward? And, you know, some of those other pieces, but I think the, 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 the lining uh, is there as it relates to, you know, the, the, the Sixers and, and the and Celtics. So, you know, I like Charles. Charles is that dude and, you know, former Sixer himself. Uh, part-time Philadelphia area resident. But Sixers winning a championship this year? No, I don't think so just yet. And, you know, also Embiid is going to be out, you know, because of concussion protocol and, you know, surgery on his left orbital bone. Uh, you know, all of that said, the next two to four weeks and may miss some time in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, playoffs start April 15th. So a lot of things to sort through, but um, I like the Sixers' chances moving, moving forward in the future. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to give you a song for a song. But I know change gonna come. And the process, everybody was laughing at the process and was waiting for the process, but now we have the process, unfortunately. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about Philly later, uh, the the Sixers most particularly, but look at it this way. If you had Villanova winning winning the whole shebang, at least you got one part of your bracket right. If you had a bracket. Because I I don't even get caught up into them, but everybody burned theirs. And I was like, you see? I didn't have a bracket, but I did in my mind when someone asked me who I had. I had Villanova. In my final four, I had Villanova. I think it was Villanova, North Carolina, Kansas, and I forgot who the fourth one was, but I had Villanova in the national championship. You bring up the number four, which brings me back to the final four. Villanova, Michigan, Loyola, Chicago, Kansas. And this was before Villanova won it all. Loyola, Chicago. You never thought they'd be in this predicament. I, for one, was like, I hope they seal the deal because it would just be the most unpredictable thing of the most unpredictable tournament we've seen in a very, 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 very long time. So Villanova winning kind of put it back to some sort of a standard. Mm, yeah, but I think that's, did that's you ever think they would lose, though? Did I ever think Villanova would lose? Did you ever think Loyola Chicago would lose? As much as the as much as God was on their side, did you think they was going to lose? I mean, I, everybody likes an underdog. I mean, to go with that Philadelphia team, you know, Rocky Balboa was that was that underdog, and everybody liked him because he was personable, likable, and people could relate to him. And Sister Jean was that was that was that uh, piece for them. But um, I wanted Loyola Chicago to beat um, Michigan, just like at the first round. I wanted the good folks over on Hilltop Circle, UMBC, to beat. You know Virginia, and uh, and that in that round, and you know they were the 16th seed, and they beat. You know they were the Goliath to, excuse me, they were the David to, to Virginia's Goliath, and you know being the 16th seed and beating a one seed. But um, you know Michigan to me, you know has been competitive over the last three to five years. You know they produced guys in the last ten years, guys like Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, Trey Burke, uh, and and some other guys as well. Um, but I, I think that. It, it it made sense at least for the elitists and the snobs that uh, are are the, the heart soul of you know college basketball that you know Michigan and that Villanova would be there, um, but you know I, 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 it's almost like 
the 13 colonies make sense to those who are in the 13 colonies. But it would have been nice to see something different because you're always seeing the same thing, kind of like Butler making it to the national championship. That's not a typical PBC playing against a Duke, you know. Exactly. Villanova domination dynasty. It will be very interesting to see what this dynasty becomes. We are mosey on down to the women's side, shall we? Because, you know, it's not all about the guys. And unfortunately, you know, it's something that bothered me um, today as I'm preparing my notes and getting ready for the show today. I go to look up the NCAA women and only NCAA men come up. I know things in this country as far as what makes people excited. And, you know, I know the men's tournament is the bread and butter. But when it comes to certain things, some things got to change. And I hope change comes there. I was so unfortunate. I was so mad to not see that tab. And I was like, what the heck is going on? But anyway, according to Sports Illustrated's newest cover, she is ice. And she is ice twice. Enrique Agunbowale brings home the title for Notre Dame. Two shots in a 48-hour span. The first Mm -hmm. shot. Let's talk about the first shot first. Yes, the Yukon yep. shot. Uh she sure she Kobe tweeting, and this is Kobe. Big time shot. Uh, who knew Kobe was a Yukon fan? Big sh- big time shot, Arike. Uh we're a Yukon family, but we love seeing great players make great plays. I know my sis Jewel Lo- Joel Lloyd, who's also a former Notre Dame guard, is happy. Well done to the Notre Dame women's basketball. Good luck on Sunday. She responded with, wow, my life is complete, the GOAT. He said, no, it's not. Go win on, on Sunday. Yes, buzzer-beating shot in the national semifinal sent favorite and undefeated UConn home after a 91-89 overtime victory. She said, I didn't want to give them a chance to get the ball. I, want, I went to Mamba mentality, to quote the great Kobe Bryant. And she said, Kobe is here, so that was what I tried to channel. Not to mention, she also wears 24, so that also worked for her as well. I want to talk about UConn a little bit because Gino Oriema and the UConn Huskies will not advance to get another shot at the title. Their historic, the historic team is, is definitely gone. But at the same time, everyone is so used to the Huskies dominating. What does that do for everyone's psyche when they lose? I don't think in this case it means anything for Gino Oriema and, and UConn Huskies. I think they had a great season this year. Um, they just didn't get a stop at the end. And, you know, I, I think that UConn women's uh, basketball will come back and, and, you know, try to run the tables next season. But um, I, I think for those, again, when you talk about the elitist snobs that are college basketball fans that like things a certain way, you know, UConn women's basketball is a staple. If you look at some of the people that have come out of UConn, Rebecca Lobo. Sue Bird. We, the list goes on and on. Bird. Swing Cash. The list goes on and on. But, you know, I, I think that um, it's great to see somebody else win it for a change. You know, Notre Dame women, uh, bas- women's basketball is, is no Trump uh, no Trump school. I mean, I mean, the men were competitive a couple years ago. I think when they competed against Kentucky, uh, that was back when Paul Towns was on that team, and, and along with Devin Booker and some of those other guys. But, you know, I, I think as it relates to the women's team, I mean, they, they, they played there. So Scarlett Biggins went to Notre Dame, correct? Yes, she also went there, too. And she was very happy uh, with everything that happened this weekend as well. I, I need to talk to you about this one, though. UConn loses. But it wasn't by a dominant route. It was a great shot in overtime in the last minute. Again, something that was not expected. If you're Notre Dame and you hear this type of chatter, do you feel away? Do I do? Do I? Do if you're Notre Dame and you hear this type of chatter, like they didn't route them out, it was just a shot at the last minute. Do you do you feel away when you hear this? Because a win is a win. 
No, because but I, but but I say this: if that's the chatter you're hearing now, that means you got to go back next year and win again. Winning cures all; it makes people shut up. You know, so you know it, it, it's kind of like if you look at comparatively to the NBA, you know, people often said in 2015 when the Cavs lost to Warriors. Uh, Imagine if a healthy Kyrie Irving, you know, came in and, and, and was able to help Kyrie. You know, of course, he, he got hurt in that, in that series. Mm-hmm. The very next year, the Cavaliers routed the, the Warriors and, you know, went on to, to, against a 3-1 deficit and, and won the NBA Finals against a, a Golden State team that was loaded with talent, Draymond Green and, 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 and Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and coached by Steve Kerr. So I, I feel like for those who made that statement about Kyrie being out, you know, they proved it. And I think comparatively to, to, to women's college basketball, you know, if that's the talk, you know, that Notre Dame women, women's team basically, um, you know, made some stops and, and, and beat UConn, they got to go in and, and, and use that as bulletin board material and, and go in and, and make that happen. So, you know, if that's the talk, you know. Let it UConn be. Is up there. Let it ride. Prove them wrong. On Sunday, we speak about Sunday because she did – Agumbawali just did it again, and it was another wild, wild tweet by Kobe. Notre Dame trailed by 15 points in the third quarter of the national championship game to Mississippi State. The Irish rallied back to that game at 58 with only a few seconds left. She then took an inbounds pass, headed toward the corner after dribbling twice and switched the ball off balance. Like, she didn't even catch it in, in real time to set. And, and hit a, a triple with .1 seconds to give the Fighting Irish its second national championship. They're the queens of the queen. They're the queens of uh, na- the, the the NCAA for all women. The Fighting Irish. Nobody can say nothing because they reign supreme. Which shot was better by Agumbawale? Was it which one was the best? Was it the one that beat UConn or the one that beat Mississippi to win it all? I like UConn because UConn did the champ, and to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. Oh, that was this was a good NCAA. It's it's all over though. How you feel? I mean, I think it was a great season for both the men and women's uh, for both. And I think that you know, fortunately, we have uh, a WNBA draft, an NBA draft, an NBA playoff, NFL draft, and uh, <laughs> we've got some things to look forward to. So I, I don't think we will be at a uh, loss of competitive basketball being played and. You know, basketball is a year, a year-round sport. There, there is no off-season. The off-season is the preparation for the season. So, you know, definitely we're spoiled with good basketball. And you know, it, it's a party. I know DL Hughes said this in the Kings of Comedy. I don't normally do this, but uh, <laughs> you know. The party continues. And, you know, one last tidbit about the Irish, if you didn't know, the Irish Queens, that is. It was the icing on the cake for a team who was ravaged by injuries, and they still managed to win 35 games. So good kudos to them. In WNBA land, and another legend, especially in the, in, in the WNBA land, Tina Thompson, lipstick and all, baby. She's named one of the inductees for the year's Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, the four-time champion, nine-time All-Star. Oh, my gosh. I remember that red lipstick. I remember that ponytail. I remember Cheryl Swoops. I remember Houston just dominating. The New York Liberty could not get past them. Shout out to Teresa Weatherspoon. I used to love her back in the day. Used to love her back in the day. Oh, I thought the cornrows. I thought I was her. Her tenacity. Oh, my gosh. She was like Allen Iverson, just a female. But anyways, Uh how do we remember the greatness of Tina Thompson? Uh, You know, I think... um 
Well, the one thing I liked about Tina Thompson was her tenacity. I mean, she was Scottie Pippen to Cheryl Swoops' uh, Michael Jordan. And um, even after Cheryl Swoops retired, I just remember Tina Thompson still just being a dominant force in the WNBA. I do, I do vividly remember those 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 um, WNBA final matchups between the New York Liberty uh, and the Houston Comets, and watching them on the the WNBA on NBC. Um, you know, I actually watched those games because I had a basketball withdrawal when the NBA was over, and I just marveled at how talented her, how Tina Thompson was. And to be honest with you, I remember watching her in the Olympics. Like mm-hmm. Tina Thompson was that real deal. I think she was like six 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 seven. Could play unstoppable. Could play in the post. She had a she had a, a soft, uh, fluid outside shot. Uh, solid defender. Uh, could pass the ball efficiently. And um, but I just remember her being the vocal leader on, on those huge Houston Comets teams. And um, I'm glad to see her be a Hall of Famer. You know, you're seeing certain people who maybe weren't the Michael Jordan or the Penny Hardaway or. You know, the Scottie Pippen or the Allen Iverson or the Shaq, you know, get there just do. Just like, you know, Tina Thompson is, will be uh, a Hall of Fame, a Naismith Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame uh, inductee. You see people like uh, Horace Cheeks uh, being an inductee. You know, you know the sexy picks like the Steve Kerr's and, and the uh, Grant Hills and the, you know, and the Jason Kids. Congratulations to them. But, you know, you see a Tina Thompson. I, I really, really um, had a love affair with Tina Thompson's game. I, I really like the way she played. I like her poise. Um, and I'm happy for her. Me too. I'm very happy for her as well. When you think of her, you think innovative, you think trailblazers, you think exciting. It was wonderful for a little girl like me, and I don't know if you remember the when the WNBA started. I rem- it takes me yep. back to that first commercial with Rebecca Lobo and, and Cheryl Swoops and Lisa Leslie. They're walking through the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And you remember everybody being in the stands. You remember the anticipation. You remember everybody being excited that it was the WNBA season. And their season was just as important as the men's back then. Yeah, and and I, how can we bring that back? Um, that's a good question. You know, when I go to New York Liberty game, I, 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 New York is, is a special place because um, the market that's there uh, mm-hmm. that supports them whether that be young girls, whether that be LGBT, uh, whether that be uh, just people who are actually fans of the game. I think that, I, I think equal pay would, would be a great start. Um, I also think, I think it's great the NBA just did a partnership with this, um, you know, mental health is a big issue. And the NBA did a partnership uh, that also extends to the WNBA and I believe the 2K League. Uh, the draft is tomorrow uh, here in New York City, but the 2K League, um, assist with mental health, you know, getting people the help they need. And also, you know, you're seeing things like WNBA, um, their, their players being on uh, this year's NBA Live uh, game, which was great. So you have people like Kathy Pondexter who was on the game um, and some other folks. I mean, I think the cool thing about the WNBA at this point is that there are ladies that are in that league that are um, equally talented uh, to their male counterparts. Uh, you have ladies like Candace Parker, um, who's, who's been hands down one of the, the, the best ambassadors of the WNBA for years. Um, you know, Cheryl Swoops was the, was the, gave the torch there. You had Lisa Leslie, who gave the torch, the first lady who, uh, first woman in WNBA history to come to the game. Um, you know, Cheryl Swoops was kind of, excuse me, Cheryl Miller 
was the, was the innovator. I mean, I remember when she was in, in Riverside, California, she scored, I think, 100 points or 101 points in a game. That's Reggie's sister. You know, exactly. Better than, her, better than her brother. And they thought that she could come to the NBA. I remember that Living Singles episode back in, and she and she even looked like she was going to kill it there. I remember on that Living Singles episode. Oh, man, that. take us back. They don't make TV how they used to, do they, brother? No, they don't. But, you know, at least Living Singles coming to Netflix, so at least you could live it. Exactly. We're going to live there. And, and, you know, it's very nostalgic because you talk about being New York, and New York's the mecca. And when you think of that, you remember that the WNBA used to pack the stadiums. Those playoff games? Oh my gosh! You talk about the Knicks playoff games? Yeah, I mean, I mean the 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 um, Liberty playoff games. Like they packed an arena. Oh, for sure. You know, it, it was. And it's very hard to not see it anymore. Yeah, I, I think that those '90s Liberty teams were special, and I think you kind of saw that um, nostalgia. I want to say in 2015, 2016, when you saw uh, my guy Isaiah Thomas become uh, team president and you know Bill Lambeer, uh become head coach, he's no longer Bill is no longer you know part of that coaching uh, staff. But um, you know the Liberty had a nice run uh, a couple of years ago, and it'll be interesting to see another that they're dealing with. Um, you know they may not be playing at Madison Square Garden much longer; they may be playing at Westchester Community Center, uh, Westchester, Westchester County Center. Uh, which is right wow. outside of Yonkers, New York. But, um, you know, I, I think for the Liberty, just they were one of the original teams. You know, you remember the Charlotte thing. You remember the Houston Comets. You remember the Indiana Fever. You uh, remember Sue Bird. You remember Rebecca Lobo. You remember you remember the tag team. Uh, you remember Teresa Williams. When you remember all these women, and, 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 and it's just amazing. I take it back. I remember Kim Hampton. I remember yes. Kim Perry. I remember Delisha Becky Jones. I remember, yeah, I remember. I, I remember when. Um, I mean, I, I just have fond memories of the WNBA, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, to relive those moments, I, I don't know that it can't be relived, but I think improvements to the league is equal pay, or at least more pay. Um, and you know, women that play in the WNBA, they, they got to have another job, you know, because they're not be able to make enough money during the regular season to, to sustain during the off season. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, folks do go overseas and, you know, play basketball. So, you know, those are some things that need to be repaired because I think these women that are playing in the WNBA are, are, are very good. Yeah, and it's very unfortunate because, you know, when we talk about big blockbuster trades in the NBA, I think Elena Deladon, her being on the market was one of the big blockbuster trades of the summer in her going to D.C., I mean, you talk about Skylar Diggins coming back off injury. These um, um Brittany Grinder and dunking you and 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 what the, the Sparks have become, and you talk oh, about a lot of legit women on the Sparks, by the way. I'm sorry. And I like I like I like the fact that Kathy Candace Conrad Parker and and Essence Carson are all on that LA Sparks team. Oh um, man, that team's gonna be special this year. Maya Moore and her dominance in Minnesota and, and how she's just clutch. It's, it's, it's going to be a long conversation. I would think we're going to have this conversation for a very long time when it comes to the WNBA because as much of a, glo- a, a good entity as it became as putting it in fruition for girls to know that they can go to a league of their own themselves, it's still a long way to go to rebuilding it back to those days. I miss those days. But we got to get into the nitty-gritty. We got to talk about the NBA. And I don't know about you. But this one excited me. 
Ray Allen, he finally does not hold his peace anymore. He speaks up. Now, we know he got a book and everything coming out. But at the same time, he finally puts his own foot down about his former teammates. On ESPN's first take last Thursday, he discussed his relationship with former Boston Celtics teammates and defending leading and defending leaving Boston for Miami in 2012. It was clear to him, he says, that the Celtics weren't doing that they what they needed to do to bring him back. So he set his sights on other possible destinations. He went on to express shock and confusion over why his old teammates were so salty quote, quote, about his move, saying that him and Rajon Rondo haven't talked and that Kevin Garnett forgot the genesis of their relationship. He also said, you know, the basis of you coming to the NBA to ask you, how you want to win a championship, how much you want to win. And, you know, I always said the same thing he just said. I said, I don't know what they wanted him to do. If they didn't win that year, this obviously was their only year to do it. You had a Kevin Garnett that spent all those years in Minnesota and in that wear and tear. You had Paul Pierce that was in Boston for so long, Antoine Walker, all that good stuff. He couldn't do it alone. Rajon Rondo, it was the new kid on the block. And then you bring in Ray Allen from Milwaukee and all those years that he spent there. This squad was Kendrick Perkins. This squad, Big Baby Davis, this squad was supposed to win it when they won it. Because if they didn't, who knows if all of them, who knows if we would have had Kevin Garnett with the confetti flying down saying, Anything's possible. We may have not ever had that. Now, when it comes to after that season, everything that transpired, you knew Kevin. You saw Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce going down the going down to a, a phase of a decline, and we all know the debacle that happened in Boston. They were looking like AARP out there and, and, and sliding and sliming on the bench. I don't know what Ray Allen was supposed to do. Ray Allen's still in the position that he held and being one of the best shooters. The shot is so wet. It's so dr- immaculate he's one of the best shooters out there and he only has to play his game the way he has to play it to contribute to another team now don't get mad he went to Miami okay whatever but he put himself in the best place to win another chip which is what he's supposed to do individually because let's face it that team was going to dismantle anyway do we agree with Ray Allen do we find that this team just needs to Calm down. Have a player spotlight. Look at Shaq and Kobe. Look what they just did. Enough is enough. Let's bury the hatchet. Right, Scoop? Well, I, I think that you, you put up a lot of valid points, uh, but I, I think there are a few things. Uh, one, um, during Ray Allen's media run uh, promoting his book, one of the things that he said uh, in one of the interviews was there's no loyalty in basketball. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a different game. Um, and I think that's true. Uh, when you look at Ray Allen's departure from uh, the Boston Celtics, uh, the Miami Heat had gotten better. That's one. Um, and also, uh, the Pacers had gotten better. And I think when Ray Allen made that move uh, to the Miami Heat, he spelled uh, Wade, LeBron, Chalmers, and all those guys uh, – was one of the biggest shots of his career uh, against Tim Duncan and, and, and the San Antonio Spurs, a three that ultimately uh, took them to another uh, game, and you know they ended up winning the finals. But I, I think bigger than that, you look at a Rajon Rondo at that point. Uh, Rajon Rondo was still very young and very fiery. This is the guy uh, that was feuding, you know, with Chris Paul, you know, about who was the best point guard in the NBA. Uh, I, I think you know, Rajon Rondo is just a very competitive soul. Uh, but also, there is a uh, there is definitely a, um, a, a a posse, or I don't want to use the word posse. There's definitely a, a 
clique of those guys that were on that championship Celtics team uh, that just decided that they didn't like, you know, Paul, excuse me, Ray Allen. But I also know that when Ray Allen ended up going to Miami, I know before games, you know, Garnett wouldn't speak to uh, Allen. And, you know, there was just a lot of, you know, if you weren't with us, you're against us, uh, that type of mentality. But I also do think that as much as Kevin Garnett, for example, will, crit- will criticize that move, yeah, he was loyal to Minnesota. His best season outside of the championship season with the Boston Celtics was that 2004 MVP season. Uh, mm-hmm. when he did the league's regular season MVP. You know, that team, we had Sam Cassell, Rachel Nesterovic, Wally Serbiak, Sam Cassell, some of those other guys. But, you know, they ultimately lost, I believe, in the conference finals to the Lakers that year. The Lakers lost to the Pistons in the NBA Finals. But I think that, you know, as it relates to, to, to Ray Allen, um, I'm glad he got that extra ring, you know, that, that draft class, that 1996 NBA draft class, had a glut of talent. You know, one of the, uh, he's going to be another Hall of Famer uh, coming out of that draft class. Allen Iverson, obviously, uh, one of the big splashes in that draft class that is now Hall of Famer. But um, when you look at that draft class, um, you had guys like um, uh, Kerry Kittles, uh, Stephon Marbury, um, Samaki Walker, Steve Nash. Steve Nash is another guy that came out of the 96 draft class. Um, you, everybody remembers that Slam magazine poster, the cutout and Slam. Mm-hmm. All I used to love me some Slam. I used to beg my mother for five dollars, mm-hmm. and when she started throwing them away because I collected so many of them, I was like, "What are you doing? These are collective items." I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was so hurt. Mm-hmm. But anyways, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, Sharifa Durrahim also remember that ninety-six. Oh my gosh, um, um, my guy, um, my, oh, it'll come to me, um. Rim Wrecker. I'm looking right at the cover. New Cole York Nets. I mean, Blaster. I'm sorry? The Nets. Kenyon Martin. The one where he's hanging on the rim. Right. Oh, of yeah. the slam. That was one. I had the Allen Iverson one with the afro. I had Kobe with the American flag over his head. Oh, my God. I had them all. You're taking me through a moment. No, no, no. It's all good. But, no, as it relates to Ray Allen, Ray Allen was best uh, for himself and his family in Miami with service of that need. And, he could still shoot up for a team today if he really wanted to. But he I really could. Is, 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 is focused on, you know, life after basketball. Is it time to stop this ostracizing? I mean, let's be real. We never thought that we would have Kobe and Shaq sitting down for the player spotlight. And I don't know about you, it was very nostalgic to watch that. And to see them bury the hatchet after all these years, and you saw the explanation of all the back and forth and all the, 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 the turmoil that they actually happen to say. I don't think Ray Allen and Ray John Rondo is on the same level as Shaq and Kobe. Mm, Okay. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but like Rondo and and, and Allen are not Shaq and Kobe. But no one wins when the family feuds, but the family feuds, they can and win. But then then I don't even think that that, that, that that's a separate conversation from even, you know, Isaiah and and um, Magic Johnson. I understand. So it's like yeah, Person, I mean, plus the personalization that comes with it. I agree. Sure, sure. And I think that you know, that, I mean, that Shaq and Kobe feud was was huge. Like I know players uh, who have shared with me that they broke up fights in practice between the two of them. Mm. Um, I I know I've had conversations with Shaq's mother uh, on Scoopy Radio, the Scoopy Radio podcast, just about you know how that. How she, you know, gave Shaq good and solid advice on, you know, how to handle that situation. But those two guys, they were two complete opposites. Like, 
Kobe was a, was a, a young kid who signed his first contract at 17, and parents had to sign it because he was a minor. And a guy who, you know, studied the greats, he studied Magic, he studied Bird, he studied Michael, was in Italy watching his dad play. He was a second-generation basketball player. But I, I think that they clashed because Shaq played into shape. You know, he was comfortable being a third-seed team in the Western Conference going against, you know, a, 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 a lower seed versus Kobe, who was ready in preseason. To, to, to tear a rim off, so those 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 two clashed, um, you know, and 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 so Jackson often had a hard time managing those personalities. Mm-hmm. You know, when Phil Jackson coached the Bulls, the strong personality was Michael. You know, Scotty fell in line, but you know, even during those years from '96 to '98 when they had Dennis, Dennis was Dennis was managed. You know, he, he they let Dennis be him, but when it was time to play. Dennis hauled in 20 to 30 rebounds. You know, that situation with Shaq and, and, and Kobe was, 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 was like psychiatry. And somebody needed to pay that, that shrink, you know, top dollar to manage those personalities. You know, so I, I think to, to, to zero back in on your statement of Rondo and, and Allen, I, I mean, it, it'd be a, a quick interview for the blogs, but, you know, that, I don't think that's – I don't think that those two are going to really uh, – Ever reconcile conversation because I just think Rajon Rondo is such a strong personality, um, and I don't think he cares. Oh yes, I, 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 I don't see. It's all this conversation. You know, they're in Area Twenty One. Kendrick Perkins, they're chopping it up, and then you know Ray Allen was visibly not there for Paul Pierce's um, getting um, dedicated to in Boston when they put his uh, jersey when they retired his jersey. It's just all these inc- inclinations where you see on the other side that two that men are able to put that stuff aside and still remember that we were champions together. And it's unfortunate that it can't happen in Boston, um, but we'll, we'll still hold the white flag for for one day. There's a lot of other Hall of Fame inductees um, we got to discuss. Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Grant Hill, they all are Hall of Fame inductees this year. Are they deserving? What do we make of Grant Hill? A career that was or lost too soon. We know about the injuries. We we know about all that. And you put him in the conversation of Tracy McGrady. And what would have happened if he would have not gotten injured the way he did and the years just kept on piling on? I take that and raise you this. What if that Orlando Magic team was attacked with Grant Hill, Tracy McGrady, John Amici, Darrell Armstrong, and in free agency they also nabbed Tim Duncan? Wow. I don't. That's a conversation. Well, I mean, there was there was during the free agency period, Tim Duncan was of interest to the Orlando Magic. That is a conversation. Well, Hill was a six eight point guard on that team. He ran the offense, you know. But that that season before in the playoffs, um, he he had a uh, when he was a piston, he hurt his his his, his, his heel on his foot pretty bad, and he never really healed the right way. And he never and recovered neither. Never recovered, and, and you know I think that that free agency period was a defining year. Just like when Shaq ended up leaving Orlando and bolting to go to the Lakers, that was a defining year. Um, every so often you have those defining years. LeBron going to Miami in 2010 during the decision, that was a defining year. But that Orlando Magic uh, run with Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill benefited Tracy McGrady more than it did Grant Hill because Tracy McGrady, you know, he had had that the season before that playoff series against, I believe it was the Knicks, um, Tracy was, sh- was showing his behind. You know, uh, everybody everybody knew he was Vince Carter's uh, cousin, but 
you know, he, he held his own. You know, that team had Doug Christie. Had, I wish I was there uh, for that backcourt uh, in oh, the back of the yard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they had a good team. They just, you know, they, they didn't stick together. Um, yeah. Kind of one of those what-if teams, if you will, just like, you know, the OKC Thunder of 2012 that went to the finals or, you know, that Magic team with, with Penny Hardaway and Shaq, um, Nick Anderson and, and, and company. But I, I think when you look at Trace McGrady, there are some people who don't believe that he should have been in Hall of Famer last year. Um, please I stop that, it. What you say? I said, please stop it. <laughs> I think that Tracy McGrady was the was the carryover to Orlando to what Penny Hardaway was, and what would have been or making it, trying to make it happen there in 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 Orlando. Yeah, and I think it was unexpected. But I think when you look at the total picture, when you had Grant Hill on that team, that team was supposed to get you to multiple NBA finals, and you know that didn't happen because of Grant Hill and. You know, uh, other reasons. You know, Doc Rivers really got his coaching start in Orlando. You know, you, Chase McGrady had some teammates on that team. You had anybody from Mike Miller to Andrew DeClerc to John Amici to um, Drew Gooden. You know, you had a lot of guys on that team. But, you know, Grant Hill was supposed to be that, that, that center, solid piece to fuse them into to the promised land championship-wise. And, you know, it never really happened, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, Grant Hill is deserving because I don't think it was just his NBA career. I also think it was his time at Duke. Yes. Um, I also think it's... He was a legend before his time. He was. He was a legend before his time. And I, when, I, when I made the comparison about, you know, Tracy McGrady as, as it relates to, you know, carrying over to where Penny left off at in Orlando, uh, I also think that Grant Hill, or rather LeBron James, was everything that Grant Hill was supposed to be. 6'8". Uh, you know, can average 20 to 30 points a game, get you five to six rebounds, get you eight assists. Like, Grant Hill was a playmaker. He wasn't just a scorer. He wasn't just a, you know, he, he could rebound the ball, and he was a great leader. You know, he played it with, on a Pistons team that had the likes of, you know, uh, Allen Houston, um, Terry Mills. Allen uh, Houston, the silent yeah. assassin. Continue. Yeah. Play, play, play the Detroit with Grant Hill. You know, when you – Grant Hill even made him a carry from Martin. Yes. <laughs> he was on Living Single as well. Yes, he was. <laughs> hey, Ray Jean, Ray Jean. Anyways, it, it's, 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 when you think of all these guys, this was our era, Scoop. I'm 29, so Steve Nash. Only thing I got against Steve Nash is he wanted the year Kobe was supposed to get him one. He Another MVP. I'm sorry, Steve Nash. But Jason Kidd, Grand Hill, you talk about Tracy McGrady. You talk about guys like that. These was uh, This was our generation. To finally see all of them being honored is a great thing. From one guy that's not in the Hall of Fame, but he made his history down in Charlotte. Kimball Walker, 27. He's in his sixth season with the, uh, with the uh, Charlotte Bobcats. Guess what he did? Now, he's far from his UConn days, but Kimber Walker sets an all-time Hornets scoring record in a home game against the Cleveland Cavaliers in LeBron James. Kimber passed Dell Curry to become the team's all-time leading scorer, 9,848 career points, people. He, it makes him arguably the greatest player in Charlotte basketball history, Bobcats or Hornets. Earlier this season, he did, he did some more historic things. He passed Curry for the most three-point shots. I don't find that hard to believe, seeing as though we know who his son is, Steph Curry, in franchise history and broke Gerald Wallace's team record of 1,998 made free throws during the course of Wednesday's game. Wow. How do we feel about that one? Welcome to the Rucker Books, young man. Welcome to the Rucker Books. I'm happy for Kimber Walker. Uh, guy, uh, New York City guy, Bronx, uh, same Raymond High School, uh, did his thing in UConn. Uh, but I think 
you know, what I really, really enjoy about Kevin Walker is just his humble spirit um, and, and the fact that, you know, he's been part of that Bobcast and Charlotte Hornets uh, history for a while. Um, I got a chance to uh, catch up with Kemba out in L.A. Uh, during All Star Weekend. We were at uh, Michael Jordan's mansion party, and uh, I was mentioning to him that I was on a radio show uh, and was making a comparison to um, he and uh, current uh, Minnesota Timberwolves guard uh, Jamal Crawford and how I feel like Kemba will have a second leg in the NBA and have longevity because I think he's begun to establish a jumper. Um, he's, he's a team leader. Um, and I think bigger than that, um, I think there are other teams that are interested in his services um, because you, you also heard his name in trade rumors uh, towards the trading deadline. Michael Jordan openly said, we're not trading Kemba uh, unless another all-star is offered. And I think oftentimes people look past Kemba and don't think that he's an all-star or that he's a, a viable option. Um, but I, I, I think a team like a San Antonio Spurs could use someone like Kemba Walker who can you know, score in volumes. Um, I, I think Kemba Walker is a guy who um, has a lot to offer, and I also think a lot of training uh, goes into it. One of the things I, I, I admire uh, a lot about Kemba is uh, when he came into the league during the lockout short season back in 2011, um, how active he was um, throughout the whole process. He and a buddy of mine, Charles Jenkins, who went to Hofstra, uh, they trained with uh, current Orlando Magic assistant coach Jay Hernandez, um, and they worked on a lot of skills, uh, skills uh, drills, and a lot of you know they were roommates. They they, they um, just worked out. They trained together. They ate together. Uh, they they vibe together. I mean, you know, his mindset was was just solid um, going into that season, um, and, and and I think that Kimber Walker will continue to play at breakneck speed, and he's making people respect him by body of work, putting up solid numbers. I mean, the Hornets have and the Bobcats have gone through guards. You know, Jeremy Lin was on that team. And, mm-hmm. You know, Kimba, Kimba still put up solid numbers. But I also think somebody like Dwight Howard, that now a member of the Charlotte Hornets, is benefiting from the play of, of Kimba Walker. You know, a guy to put up 30 and 30 uh, back in, I believe it was March. Uh, uh, quietly, you know, he's having a, a solid uh, statistical season. But as it relates to Kimba, I, I expect more of the same. And I, I kind of feel like people doubted Kimba. And Kimba's rising to the occasion and doing everything he needs to do and playing the game the right way. Do you think they doubted him because he came from a place like UConn and it took him a minute to to sustain something like that, something you know, like I this in they, the NBA? I think they doubted him because, number one, I, I think people couldn't quantify whether he was a one, he was a two, he was a combo guard. I, I think that they're easy comparisons in New York guards, easy to compare him to Ben Gordon. Um, and Ben Gordon had that one solid season with the Bulls, and then you kind of haven't heard from him anymore. You haven't. Uh, I, I think for Kimba, uh, Kimba has, I think the UConn thing didn't have much to do with it. It was more, you know, where does he fit on the board? Um, and I think that the guard play has changed. I think it's the emergence of guys like Steph Curry, uh, who is literally has an Allen Iverson dribble and a Reggie Miller jumper, wetter than Reggie Miller, handles for days. you got a guy like Kyrie Irving. Uh, that's a dual threat. He can get he can get to the cup. He can create any shot he wants. Uh, getting to the cup, or he can take a jumper uh, and has and has you know handles for days. Uh, I, I think you know you're in a situation where guys like Allen Iverson or or, or Derek Rose uh, made it fashionable for for guards to just be all purpose. And I think just like Dwight Howard, the players of a big man, um, I think he was ahead of his time when he first came into the league because he lacked the post game. Mm-hmm. I think when and now that style of play is a fluid big man is is is, is what the game has it, it, it's the mandated. 
I think the same thing goes for Kemba. I think when he first came in, you were a specialty type guard, you know, and if you were a, a, a point guard that can score and, and, and maybe not dish as much or, you know, pick your poison when you want to dish, you were being selfish. I think he continued to just blend in. Um, and, and I think now he's getting that respect because you think about it, you know, for Greg Popovich to be salivating over, you know, his services, I have been told, you know, Spurs were, were very interested in, in Kevin that's Walker, big news. You know, coming to the Spurs. What you say? I said that's big news. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. But then, you know, you, you think a guy like Kimba would, would flourish in, a, in an Indiana Pacers system or Orlando Magic system. But, you know, I think him being close to Michael Jordan has helped his case a lot, too. You know, he, he represents the Jordan brand as a, as a member of Team Jordan. But also, um, I, I just think that Kimba Walker is it's just his time. Sometimes when it's your time, it's your time. And it's not, it's not. Speaking of Michael Jordan, the Hornets chairman, he he weighed in on Kimba Walker in his in his historic feat. I'm really happy for Kimba becoming a franchise's all-time leading scorer is a big accomplishment, and it's a testament to his hard work, dedication, and passion for the game of basketball. He exemplifies what it means to be a Hornet. His effort, leadership, and commitment to our team in the city of Charlotte is second to none. I'm proud to have him on our team. Congratulations to Kimba, and that's big coming from number 23. And you can tell that he really respects him and ha- and respects having him there. But, you know, we talk about the logistics and the side of business that comes with basketball, and we talk about trades. Like you just said, you know, Walker, he's 27. He's in his, he's in his sixth season, has one year left on a four-year, $48 million extension signed on October 2014. He's a two-time All-Star. He has only played in 11 playoff games, though, and hasn't gone beyond the first round. How long will he be in a Bobcat uniform? Or a Hornet or a Hornet uniform. <laughs> there's so it's so there's so many these days. How how long will he be there? He says whenever we get a new GM, we'll see what direction he wants to go, and I'll make the best decision for me. How long will he be in Charlotte? It'll, it'll be interesting to see if he stays. Like you said, he has one year left on a four year uh, deal, and um, you know he sells tickets. He's intertwined with the community, but business is business. You know, and I think from a history standpoint, you look at that Charlotte Hornets team, you think of the days of Muggsy Bowles, you look at, you know, Larry Johnson, you look at um, Alonzo Mourning, you, you look at, you know, Kendall Gill, you look at Del Curry, uh, you look at the guys, you know, Anthony Mason, Vlade Divac, Glenn Rice. You haven't really had a Hornet that really stuck around. It'd be great to see somebody like Kimba be the face of, you know, a Hornets team. Um, that really matters. When you look at the Knicks, you think of Patrick Ewing, you think of Walt Clyde Frazier, you think of, you know, Dave DeBusher, you think of Phil Jackson, you think of those guys, when you think of the Bulls, you think of Michael, you think of Derrick Rose, Sixers, Dr. J, mm-hmm. Charles Barkley, Allen Iverson. You, you have valid names to think of. Right. But when you think of the Hornets, obviously, you know, the Hornets were an expansion team. I think they started in the NBA either 88, 89, or 1990. I can't think of the top of my head, but they were something different from the teal jerseys with the stripes. You know, uh, you know, drafting Larry Johnson out of UNLV in '91. Oh yes. You, you, you know, he and Alonzo Mourning not getting along. Like you, you, you think about that. Then you look at the emergence of Charlotte over the last few years with, you know, Cam Newton playing well for the Carolina Panthers. Like, you know, they've established at least an entertaining culture of sports while there. Um, you know, and it's a growing about, city as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of us Northerners coming down there to live, exactly. and it's not that like they're skipping a beat being down south. It is a city. Mm-hmm. It's it's down it's it's southern New York. You know, North Carolina has that issue as well as Atlanta. But you know, as it relates to the business side of, of Kemba, 
you know, the Hornets have some things to decide. Um, you know, what else do they want to bring to the table? How are they looking to build for the future? As I said, he's 27 years old. Um, he's played in 11 playoff games. And, um, you know, what, what's next? You know, when I think of the last time a Charlotte team has been relevant in the, in the NBA playoff culture, I think of 2004 when Baron Davis's uh, Hornets team took on the Miami Heat team and Dwayne Wade hit that, that shot in game one of the playoffs. Uh, and, and, and kind of embarrassed that team. Wade was a rookie at the time. Um, you know, the only other time I really think of, you know, the Charlotte appearing in any playoff games was, you know, when Larry Brown coached it briefly and, you know, Stephen Jackson was on that team, uh, 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 Derek Anderson and some of those other guys. But, you know, Charlotte, Charlotte to me, um, they don't have the pressure of New York. They can be a little bit more patient. And, you know, if Kemba's the guy they're celebrating, you know, maybe you want to stick it with them. I want to talk about LeBron. There's been a lot of, I mean, he's been on a recent tear within the NBA as of lately. We know he's he's smelling that playoff blood. He's smelling that championship blood, and he's in rare form. But when he gets into this form, here goes another conversation about Michael Jordan. LeBron, is LeBron better than Michael Jordan? And and if and if we're gonna answer this 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 sentence, I think Mike was Mike. I think LeBron was LeBron. I'll even go as far as to say Kobe was Kobe. But are we sick of hearing this conversation, or this is something that's just is something that's n- normality when you're as such? You know, I had a conversation with Dr. J about this over the summer. Wow! Um, and I and I said, you know, when you talk about conversations of just different people, and his, I asked him in his era, did he deal with those same type of you know conversations of of you know just who's better than who? And he said, yeah. He said, but it's not up to the players to decide. That's up for the fans to decide. And I think that unfortunately and fortunately for Michael Jordan, he was perfect in the NBA Finals. You know, he, 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 he appeared in the NBA Finals six times and won all six times. Now, granted, Michael, in my opinion, um, his biggest challenge in the Finals, um, his first appearance in the Finals, the Bulls, was the Lakers. And that was a declining Lakers team that had uh, Magic Johnson, Flotty d um, Sam Perkins, and some of those other people. Now, in the second year, they, they had Clyde Drexler in the Portland Trailblazers. You had Terry Porter. You had Cliff Robinson. You had, uh, you know, some of those, Kevin Duckworth, some of those other guys. I think Clyde Drexler and Michael Jordan were going neck and neck as, as the two best two guards in the NBA. Now, in 93, you had Charles and Michael. You had, the, you know, Barkley was recently traded from Philadelphia to, um, to, to the uh, Phoenix Suns, and, you know, that Phoenix Suns team had Danny Ainge. You had... Charles Barkley, you had Kevin Johnson, you had Dan Marley, um, and, and you had Paul Westfall as the head coach. And, you know, Charles Barkley was, was, was rejuvenated. Um, but I, I think that as it relates to, you know, the second half of the Bulls run, I think that the Seattle Supersonics was the toughest team that the Bulls played against in the NBA Finals. Yes. You had a Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, Hersey Hawkins-led team with George Carl as the head coach. And they, and they were a tough team to match up with. Um, and in the last two years, you you had Utah. Now, when you look at LeBron James, the last seven seasons, LeBron James or Kobe, or let me say in the last decade, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, or Tim Duncan have all appeared in the NBA Finals. Wow. That's, that's consistency in the top notch at his best. Surely. And I think that LeBron James, you know, whether he was a member of the, the Cavs or the Miami Heat, um, he, he's come to play. I think the point about Michael and the, and, the, and the LeBron comparison, number one, I think LeBron is a throwback to, to some of the players that I mentioned. 
you know, I think the clutch gene that everybody thought LeBron didn't have, he had to develop it over time. It's something that Kobe had and had to develop over time himself. Uh, you know, I also think that LeBron had the advantage of having an earlier start, Michael Newton. Um, and I also think that um, LeBron is representative of the freelance culture that we're in. You know, you're, you're, you're a player for hire. Um, and I think that LeBron, in this current NBA culture, Every team has at least one star or superstar, and I think in Michael's era, they didn't. You look at a you look at when you look at Michael Jordan to me. You look at Kobe Bryant. You look at a lot of you look at guys that had to learn on the go. You remember Kobe in the air balls, but you knew eventually he would be coming to the man. You remember sure. Michael Jordan and all those years against Detroit and him having to come back and bulk up and saying, I'm not taking this pain anymore, and we are going to beat Isaiah and these guys, and they're not going to bully us anymore. And you, when you look at LeBron James, he is in totality the players. He is to, in totality the player that it took them so long to get to. He is already a good teammate. You don't have to tell him about the value of, of the rest of a supporting cast, whereas Kobe – well, to a degree, it took us. It took him a minute too. But I'm saying, as far as you know, as far as Kobe, it took him a minute to understand that he needed others. Well, if I can interject for a second, I think LeBron struggles in the finals, um, particularly 2011 when the Heat lost to um, the, the Dallas Mavericks, and then LeBron and the Cavs when they lost in 07 the Spurs. Um, do you think that the parallel that can easily be made? is how much the Bulls struggled in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, against the Detroit Pistons and, and Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars and mm-hmm. Rodman and John Sally and all those guys. Uh, I think LeBron was the best player on, in the Eastern Conference for a long period of time, and his teams were bulldozed other Eastern Conference teams. Um, and so that level of stress that the Cavs or he or LeBron had was just exemplified in the finals rather than in the playoffs where, Le- where Michael you know, struggled. And if you remember, obviously, you know, that, that Bulls team, um, you know, when they finally beat the Pistons, they the Pistons walked off the court and didn't even shake the Bulls' hand. You know, and that gave them motivation going against uh, the Lakers. And you remember that 91 uh, finals when mm-hmm. Michael that, that, that shot in midair, the layup where he switched hands over uh, like two or three defenders. You know, those were some of Jordan's defining moments in the playoffs and the finals. And, you know, he earned it. And I think that that, 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 um, that defining moment for LeBron came when he went to Miami and he played with Wade. And, you know, Wade had won a championship in 06 with, with Shaquille O'Neal. And, you know, Shaq showed, uh, or at least exemplified to Wade, um, the right way to win. Obviously playing under Pat Riley, uh, who had won championships with the Lakers in the 80s and, and, and the Showtime Lakers that was. I think, you know, LeBron established or rather adopted to that winning culture and took that winning culture uh, with him to Cleveland. And, you know, ultimately... You know, he and Kyrie Irving won one in, in, in 2016 uh, against, those, against the Warriors. But, you know, I, I think to go to your point about or your, your initial statement about LeBron, I think one thing that is wonderful to watch about LeBron this year is he just looks like he's having fun. Um, yeah. And I think that that life um, has carried. And, and he knows how to stay in shape and keep, his, and keep himself in a conversation to can be consistent as well. Absolutely. There was a report that came out. But somewhere last week where it said that LeBron spends $1.5 million a year and takes care of his body. And that's um, awesome. It is. And um, I, I think the thing that I see in LeBron this year in comparison to, you know, maybe 
the last few years is he looks the way he's playing on the court reminds me of how he was playing in high school. He's just having fun. And you know, you know, you talk about your moment where it did it for you with LeBron. I think for me was that finals that they they had to come back from that deficit to beat Golden State. And he was sitting in that interview and he said, and they asked him, was he worried? And he said, no, I'm the best player in the world. When you talk about Michael Jordan, when you talk about Kobe Bryant, you talk about that innate tenacity to own that if I'm the only one in the room that believes in myself, I'm going to believe in it, you know? And I had been waiting for him for so long to make a definitive statement like that because it's almost as if we pinned on LeBron and he believed it, but did he really believe it on the inside? And look what he did. He not only made that statement, he went out and showed the world and put that team on his back and did what he had to do. You know, back look at the look at those teams he took to the finals. If you if you're not a real basketball fan, you do not know who Eric Snow is. And he took a team of no ones I mean, let's be real. You do not know who Eric Snow is, and he took a. It's just like very derivative of, of Allen Iverson. If you do, if you're not a basketball fan, you don't know who Big Big Dog Robinson was. You do not know who Tyron Tyrone Hill was, and these are the type of players that took those type of caliber guys to the finals in a league that they weren't supposed to do that. And LeBron has totally changed the face and the in the name of what the NBA means. He's totally a global entity. He's totally the team, totally the guy. He is a trendsetter in this league. But when it comes to comparisons, we're going to have them. It's going to happen. But it's just unfortunately that we can't leave the Mount Rushmore with everybody. Everybody can get a spot on the Mount Rushmore. Everybody can get ahead. Yeah, I think LeBron James is a great gap between not just Michael. Um, but Duncan, but Kobe, and Iverson, um, because when you look at you look at from a from a obviously a, a swingman perspective, like I said, I think LeBron's body of work and how he plays the game is so eclectic. He can play with his back to the basket like Barkley. Um, you know, he, he developed an established footwork and a post like Hakeem. Um, you know, he developed that vocal leader aspect like Michael, like Kobe. Um, but I also think you know, student in the game like Larry Bird. Um, and I also think that um, had it not been for Allen Iverson, the, the cultural aspect, you know, tattoos, wearing arm sleeves, um, you know, when I was in college, I did a, uh, I did an, I did my, my graduate thesis on celebrity and the changing nature of the sports. Excuse me, that was my grad school thesis. My undergraduate thesis was um, studying the NBA from a hip hop cultural studies perspective um, from 1996 to 2004. So I went from Iverson on the cover of Hoop, um, where they airbrushed his tattoos out. Oh, uh, yes. In the, in the palace in 2004. Allen Iverson made it fashionable to, you know, to be that cool guy in the court and made, made many NBA executives re-examine what prerequisite is to be, you know, an NBA ball player. And just because you embrace tattoos, hairstyles, and, and culture, that doesn't mean you're any less of an NBA ball player. And I think that LeBron is a bridge gapper because he, if he plays for the Spurs, he'd be the cool guy to play for the Spurs because he's fundamentally sound, but he likes to have fun. Exactly. Know? And you talk about guys that de- take a derivative of culture. You know, Michael Jordan, when you think about Michael Jordan, I always said everybody always wanted to say, they, I want to be like Mike, but did you really ever think you could be like Mike? Whereas a guy like Allen Iverson, he was the guy in your high school that you loved if you were a girl. He dressed just like the guys that you that you sat next to. If you were a guy, you wanted to put to wear your cornrows like him. You wanted to cross over like him. You felt like you can walk down the street without an Iverson, and he was you. He was a part of you. 
And LeBron James has also started to transcend that culture as well. I, I think when you look at our and uh, Georgetown professor uh, Michael Ernst Dyson said in his book, yes. my, uh, that Allen Iverson epitomized uh, Tupac on the basketball court. And uh, definitely is a guy who um, transcended and you know, made it possible for you know, guys to be themselves. And uh, like I said, I think LeBron is definitely an anchor. Uh, and being that, that, that bridge gapper for you know, the generations before and now. I think he represents the game well. Well, we got a lot more to talk about as this NBA season gets going on. And I would like to thank you for allowing me to be me. And I would like to thank, thank you for coming on. I hope you had a good time. I did. Yeah, me thank you, girl. Thanks for having me. I'm great. Tell everybody where they can find you at because you already know the only place you can go, not just up in the tri-state. But period, you gotta listen to Scooby. He's well-rounded. Oh man, so much history. The people that he meets. I want to grow up and be like like Scoop. <laughs> but tell the people where they can meet, you, can can find you, bro. Well, first and foremost, if you guys want to find out more information about me, Brandon Scoop B. Robinson, uh, you can visit my website at Scoop B. That's S C O O P the letter B dot com. You can also subscribe to my podcast. Scoop B Radio. Uh, you can visit scoopbradio.com. You also can subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app. Uh, last year alone, we garnered 2 million downloads. We had wow. anybody from attorney Gloria Allred uh, to Dr. Ben Carson to tennis player Pete Campus, uh, LeBron James, Dr. J. Julius Irving, uh, Kenny the Jet Smith. Uh, the list goes on and on. But you can subscribe, like I said, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app. And, um, Mikel, thank you for having me on. I'm honored, and uh, we got to do this again. Truly, definitely. On the other side, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.